Our reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 62, through to chapter 28, verse 15. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was yet still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will raise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. That last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. It was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told him. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the word. Thanks Vic very much. And uh, a very happy Easter to you this morning. I was going to say it's lovely to be with you. You can see me, but I can't see you. But I feel like we've seen lots of uh, folk this morning on the on the live screen, and it's been really wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for those who've who've uh, taken part and shown themselves. It was lovely too to hear those interviews of the Easter hope. I'm going to pray for us uh, now. I, I should just say there's a couple of people who who are joining us by telephone. Uh, if that's you, it's wonderful that you're, you're with us this Easter Sunday morning. I'm going to pray now as we begin and ask the Lord to speak to each one of us by his word. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are a speaking God. And we pray that you would speak to us. 
we pray that we would be changed in our hearts and minds as we remember the wonderful truth of Easter, as we fellowship this morning with the risen Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We started our service with uh, that phrase, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. It's a cry that is echoing throughout the world today, just as it's echoed throughout the world every Easter for the past 2000 years. If Christ is risen, if those words describe reality, then there are stunning implications for every single human being on this planet. What I want to do for the next few minutes is to look at one of the first accounts of Easter. It's from the Bible and we see three different reactions to the resurrection. And I want to look at them in turn. As I do that, I'm going to make two assumptions. The first, I'm going to assume that this is an accurate record of what happened that Sunday. I take it that's a big assumption to make. Uh, this account is written by uh, a man called Matthew. He's a Christian who'd been with Jesus for three years as Jesus taught, and he writes this up. Now, if that assumption is something too big for you, can I urge you just to listen and, and then send me an email? I'd love to point you to some reasons why we can trust the Bible is accurate. I just don't have time to talk about it this morning. The second assumption is that the resurrection actually happened. Now, again, that's a massive assumption. And it's not that it's uh, not right to question or examine the evidence. It really is. I spent a long time in my own life doing exactly that. But I just don't have time to go through the evidence this morning. I'm going to assume it happened. But if that's a big question for you, please email me. My email's on the website. And again, I'd love to point you to some resources. Rather, what I want to do this morning is focus on the implications of Easter. That is to say, if what the church has always taught, if what billions of Christians around the world believe that Christ is risen, then what does that mean for us, whether we're a believer or not? We're going to focus on the first Easter morning, but it was great that Vic just read to us some of what happened the day before on Saturday. We saw there in chapter 27 that the religious authorities, the chief priests and the Pharisees go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they go because they're concerned. Just look at what they say. Verse 63, sir, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days, I'll rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Do you see, they claim to have a great, uh, a great uh, concern for the truth. They don't want people to be deceived. And so Pilate, the governor, says, take a guard and secure the tomb as secure as you know how. And that's exactly what they do. They go and secure the tomb and they post guards there. Night falls. Should be the end of the matter. The crucifixion and burial of a Jewish man would have been nothing much of a story. To those guards standing on guard duty, the idea that we 2000 years later would be talking about them would have seemed fantastic. And yet here we are doing just that. Well, the next morning at dawn, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday in the Jewish calendar, 
these two ladies, two Marys, go off to the tomb. There's Mary Magdalene, Jesus's friend, and another Mary. We don't know exactly who she is. Quite possibly, it's Jesus' mother, Mary. But what happens next is mind-boggling. Literally, it's out of this world. Verse 2, there was a violent earthquake. You who've lived in Christchurch for longer than I have know far more about earthquakes. This is massive. It's violent. But it's no ordinary earthquake. Do you see, it happens because an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. It was a phenomenal sight to see the angel sitting there on that tomb. He had the appearance of lightning. His clothes were white as snow. It's not what anyone expected that morning. It's out of this world. But do you see everyone's response to this? Everyone's response is fear. It's the first thing I want us to notice this morning. Everyone's response is fear. The soldiers are paralyzed with fear. The women are afraid as they arrive on the scene. Three times they're told to not be afraid. Fear is very much in the air. Such a contrast to the angel. He's sitting, relaxing on the stone. And before him are these big, burly soldiers, so afraid that they shake and become like dead men. Well, the trigger for their fear is the angel, but the whole event, the stone rolled away, the empty tomb, it's awe-inspiring, it's fear-inducing. And I want to suggest to us this morning that there should be an element of fear in our reaction to the resurrection. There are a lot of bear hunts going on at the moment. I wonder if you know the story. It's a wonderful children's story. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. We're not scared. It's a great story, but I have to admit, I find it sometimes a little bit tedious. I find repetition really difficult. My wife, Charlie, suggested the other day that we should watch the West Wing. We should re-watch the West Wing. We watched it when we were first married. I loved it. But I'm worried that to watch it again, I'd find really tedious. I hate repetition. And sadly, there's something of that repetition in my heart at Easter. I read these accounts last year. I know what happens. And a sense of indifference creeps into my heart. Well, shame on me. Because if we've understood these events accurately, there cannot be indifference. We cannot be underwhelmed if we grasp what is happening here. A sense that fear should be a part of, or at least the beginning to our reaction to the events of Easter Sunday morning. This is something utterly extraordinary, something that should unsettle us, that should send a tingle down our spines. This is a supernatural revelation of God that has massive implications for each one of us. To understand it, we need to see how this fits into the Bible's big story. The Bible tells us, and I'm sorry, some of you will know this well, but the Bible tells us that uh, God sent his son Jesus into the world because the world was a mess. Now, the world hadn't always been a mess. God had made the world a good place a place of blessing. 
And he'd given men and women a special role in that world to look after it, to care for it, to run it in the way that God told them to. And yet we turned away from that role and we did as we pleased. We were selfish and the consequences were disastrous. Sin enters the world. Selfishness enters the world. Shame enters the world. Sickness enters the world. At the end of the day, death enters the world. It's totally ruined. And as we look around at the world today, we see clearly the world is not as it should be. But God loves the world so much that he refuses to let it carry on. He promises to send his son to sort out this situation. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't come as people expected him to come. They expected a judge to come and deal with those who turned away from God, who, who are living selfishly, trashing this world. And yet when Jesus comes, he comes proclaiming an amnesty. He says the kingdom of God is near. This world will soon be restored. But now is an amnesty. Turn back to God. Acknowledge God's king has come. Change your ways. It's a wonderful thing. The Bible says Jesus hasn't yet come as judge. And it's a wonderful thing because it means that we who are part of the problem can apply for the amnesty. And the way we do that is by acknowledging that God's son, Jesus, is king, turning from our selfishness to follow him. And the promise is if we do, then we will find a fresh start. We'll find a welcome into God's family. We'll find a forgiveness of sins. We'll find new joy, an end of death. Well, for three years, Jesus had been teaching these things. He'd been demonstrating that the new order was near healing people, raising people even from the dead. And it was wonderful. But there was also a warning. Because Jesus reminded people that God so loved the world, he would not let it continue to be trashed forever. There was a time when Jesus would come back as judge. Jesus' claims are so extraordinary that C.S. Lewis, a great Christian author, uh, author of the Chronicles of Narnia, summed Jesus' message up like this, or summed Jesus up like this. He said either Jesus was a liar, just totally made up fantastic claims, was a liar, or he was a lunatic. It's not so much he was lying, but in his head he was deluded. He was full of fantastical ideas that were nonsense. He was off his rocker. Or the third possibility, what Jesus said was real, and therefore he's the Lord, the Lord of the universe, God's king. Well, the authorities clearly thought Jesus was a liar. The word they use in chapter 27 is deceiver, just made this up, spread fake news. Therefore, they got rid of him. But God's verdict on Easter Sunday morning is Jesus is Lord. And as God pulls Jesus out of the grave, it's as if he puts his seal on him and says, no, he is the Lord. Now, that should make us sit up. That should send us tingle down our spine. We read elsewhere in the Bible that God commands all people everywhere to repent. That is to turn back to his king. Why? For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice 
by the man he has appointed. Who is this man? He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Number of birthdays today. On this day also in 1961, Yuri Gagarin became the first man ever to go into space. It was a remarkable achievement. In some ways, it changed the world. It accelerated the space race. The world is different because of that event. But it doesn't in any way impact me personally. If I'm interested in, in space travel, well, it's interesting. If I'm interested in Russian history, well, it's an interesting fact. But if I'm not, well, who cares? Doesn't matter. But the resurrection of Jesus is not like that. What happens this first Easter morning isn't something I can take it or leave. It makes a claim on each one of us. And the danger is in the familiarity of Easter eggs and bunnies and, and roast lamb that we miss this. This event should send a tingle of fear down our spines. Well, the first reaction to Easter Sunday morning was fear, but it's not the only reaction and it doesn't need to be the last reaction. The resurrection of Jesus can and should lead to joy and worship. And that's how the women here end up responding. They're the second of two groups I want to look at this morning. Just imagine the scene in verse five. On one hand, you've got the guards quivering like dead men with fear and the women also, they're frightened. But then the, the, the angel suddenly speaks to them. Do not be afraid. Why? Why the difference? Why they shouldn't be afraid? Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. If we're lining ourselves up with Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is not something to be frightened of. It's a wonderful thing. The angel goes on to give more details of what happened. Verse six, Jesus is not here. He's risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Imagine they went to look. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just notice it says he's risen from the dead. Sometimes when somebody passes away, we say they've gone to, to a better place, kind of a spiritual place. That's not what's happened here at all. This man who is dead is alive again. And what's more, go to Galilee and you will see him. It's wonderful. Well, verse eight, see what happens. The women hurry away from the tomb. They're still afraid and yet they're filled with joy. Private Fred Jocelyn was hit with a burst of machine gun fire in World War I. A few days later, his family received a dreadful knock on the door. The telegram said that Private Fred Jocelyn had been killed. The family, understandably, was devastated. They wept. Their lives had been turned upside down. But a few days later, they received a postcard from Fred. There'd been a mix up. He was alive in hospital. Well, you can imagine the joy as they read that postcard. He's alive. Well, the joy 
the Mary's experience that morning is that kind of joy, but so much better. Not only is a, a friend alive again, not only is a son back from the dead, but everything that Jesus has said, the promise that he is God's king is shown to be real. Just think of what that means. Jesus' message of hope and victory. His promise that the world doesn't carry on like this forever, messed up. That guilt and sin can be washed away. That sickness and death is not the end. A welcome into God's family. The opportunity to call God Father. All the incredible things Jesus taught are real. Last year, I took my first funeral. It was a terrible day for the family. They'd lost a beloved father, a husband, a friend. As I took it, I reflected on, on the situation. I reflected that one day someone would take my funeral, just as someday someone will take yours. At the funeral, I read Jesus' words. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. As the Marys meet Jesus, it's not just that he's back from the dead, but those words are shown to be real. The Marys realise that even though they will die, yet again, they will live. Death is defeated. It's marvellous. Well, suddenly, verse nine. Jesus appears. They haven't got to Galilee yet, but he's there. Greetings, he says, or, or hello. He greets them as a friend. And look how they respond. They come to him. They clasp his feet and they worship. It's a remarkable thing to do. I imagine when Fred Jocelyn got back from the war, there were hugs of joy. There were tears. There was probably a great party. Maybe there were prayers of thanks to God. I guarantee there was one thing they didn't do. They didn't worship Fred because worship is something you only do to God. Now, the Marys would have known that better than anyone. They were devout Jews to worship anything other than the one true God was a, a capital offense. They could be stoned. And yet they fall down and worship Jesus because the resurrection makes it clear to them that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God's king. He is the one they are to worship and follow. We'll see what Jesus says to them. I love the words of verse 10, the remarkable words. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. Do you see, he calls the disciples brothers. Reminds us that at the heart of Christianity is an invitation to join God's family, to call Jesus a brother to call God a, a father and to know his care in that way. But it's all the more remarkable because the disciples didn't in any way behave like brothers over the last few days. Just a few days before, they'd pledged that they would be with Jesus, stick with Jesus through thick and thin. And yet in his greatest hour of need, they abandon him. When the going gets tough, they leave. They even deny having ever known Jesus. They're anything but brothers. The irony is, at essence, that selfish, self-protecting attitude is exactly what Jesus came to save this world from. It's the attitude that messes it up. It's all about me. 
what's good for me. And yet here we are, we see Jesus not judging those, but offering an amnesty. Come back to me and you'll find me your brother. Isn't that remarkable? Maybe there's someone listening this morning who knows that they've lived their whole life for themselves. They know that really they've ignored God. They've, they've lived it selfishly. Well, do you see Jesus' invitation this morning? Come back to me and I will welcome you as a brother. I will defeat death for you, but you must come back. For every human, the message of Easter should begin with fear, but it can lead to wonderful joy and worship. We heard of that, didn't we, in the, uh, the testimonies earlier, the, the, the interviews earlier. If you don't know this wonder, can I plead with you to find out? Ollie's going to put a, a picture of a book on the screen. We love at Easter to give away books. And this is a free book. We're not actually giving it away. A company's made it free. But it's called If You Could Ask One, If You Could Ask God One Question. And there are 12 different questions uh, that uh, explain more of who God is and, and some of our common questions of God. One of them is, can I be sure there's life after death? It looks at the resurrection in more detail. If you've never investigated that, can I encourage you to click the link at the end and, and get this book? It's totally free. You just need to, to, to order it and it comes to you free in your email. But the other thing we do is uh, Christian Explored. It's uh, a course we normally run in people's lounge rooms. And uh, we go through Mark's gospel, a biography of Jesus' life. And uh, we normally watch a little video. And, and then over some supper, we, we discuss what we've heard. We ask questions of each other. We can't do it in a lounge room. But during lockdown, we're going to try and do it online by Zoom. Jay will give a, a few more details of that at the end. But if you've never investigated this, can I urge you to think about coming to that course or, or getting that book, perhaps chatting to, to a Christian friend you know? Well, our time's nearly up. But before we finish, I just want to look at the last set of reactions, because, frankly, it's very sobering. I have friends and family who I'd love to know the hope of Easter. I used to assume if I could just show them the evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead, they'd have to believe, they'd have to accept this wonderful message. The tragedy is that's not true. In verses 11 to 15, we have people who have all the evidence, but the facts are inconvenient. And so they swat it away. They ignore it. And that's the third reaction is indifference, swatting it away. Easter is God's declaration that Jesus is Lord. He's the judge. It should either bring fear to us or tremendous joy as we worship him. And yet, tragically, for many, it brings indifference or denial. And this last set show us that so clearly. Just look what happens in verse 11. The women go off to Galilee and some of the guards return to the chief priests and they tell them everything that had happened. But what do the chief priests do? Remember the day before they'd said that they wanted the, the tomb sealed because they were concerned about deception. But now they don't engage with what happened. They know the tomb was locked. They hear 
the account of their own soldiers. And yet they carry on as before. They devise a plan, a plan that is there to deceive. Because the truth is inconvenient. We don't know exactly why. Maybe because they're proud and it's difficult to admit that they're wrong. Maybe it's because Jesus' resurrection threatens their authority and status as leaders. We don't really know. When it comes to the soldiers, we have a clearer hint of why they were prepared to go along with it. They would spread a story that they'd fallen asleep and somebody came and stole the body. The disciples came and stole the body. Why would they do that? Because they were given a large sum of money. Literally in the original, it's not just large sum, but sufficient sum. I wonder how much money is enough to persuade someone to deny the fear they experienced that morning. Enough to spread a lie and act as if nothing had happened. To deny the fact that a man had been raised from the dead. How much money was enough? I love to think I'm nothing like that. I love to think that I'm purely interested in the facts. I would never be swayed by my own personal gain or personal agenda. But frankly, I know that's not true. My wife points out to me, perhaps, that I'm a little bit grumpy and I'm so quick to spin it. I'm so quick to point out all the reasons why I've got a right to be grumpy, why something's happened. I spin the truth to make me look good. I'm not actually that interested in the facts. When I was 19, I became a Christian. Before that, I would have said I was an atheist, but I never really looked at Christianity or any other religion. But I would have said the facts lead there. But really, it's about inconvenience. If Jesus is Lord, it means that I'm not. It means I need to change the direction of my life. And I didn't want to risk it. Of course, I didn't look at the blessings, eternal life, the end of sins and death. I would have said the evidence led me to my conclusion. In reality, I just took the path of least resistance. I swatted it down. I suppressed the truth. Just like these chief priests, just like these guards. But I was living a lie. I was deceiving myself. Friend, if God has said something to you this morning, if something in this story uh, sorry, in this service has struck you, perhaps something in an, an interview or something I've said or, or something from a song. If it reminds you of something that you heard as a child, can I plead with you? Don't swat it away. Please don't do that. Please consider what's going on. Get hold of a book. Come and do that course, because the resurrection of Jesus is the best news in the world. Jesus is Lord. But it's also the scariest news in the world. Jesus is Lord and he's coming again as judge. Will you line yourselves up with the Marys, with billions of Christians today? And let yourself hear these words. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Will he respond with joy and worship? Because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed.
Let me pray. I'm just going to take a moment to let what God has said to us from this passage resonate in our hearts and to make a private response. And then I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, thank you so much that Jesus is risen. Please, would every person who hears this passage this morning, who hears this wonderful message around the world today, be filled with joy and turn to worship Jesus, the risen Lord. Please do that for his glory and for the good of your people. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen.